I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast cast. Part four. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman and a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! It's with fans and people, people who Hey guys, welcome to a very road trippy episode of Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm Justin Michael and you are listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Perchance to Cream, Gotham's premier dairy company and not a pornographic website. Now, today we're going to be talking about a fan favorite, Perchance to Dream, and I was lucky enough to sit down with one of the show's writers and producers, Alan Burnett. But first, I sit down with Powerpuff Girls writer and longtime comic fan, Jake Goldman. Now, if you're just jumping into the podcast, uh, you're about to dive into what we like to call a PodQuest cast. PodQuest Cast, Part 4. This time, it's PodQuest Personal. That's right, it's a multi-part story arc centered around me trying to save the podcast. But I'll let the narrator explain that part of things. Previously on PodQuest Cast. It's me, your brassy, magical talking microphone. I need the golden XLR cable. Travel to the ghost witch's house. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I am the ghost uh, of a sandwich. This dirty little troll with a flamethrower came through here not too long ago and got rid of it. You know, the proud owner of a Nissan Sentra without wheels. All right, now that you're caught up, let's get to... Hello, will anybody stop on this dusty, dirty road? (laughs) Is anybody going to pick me up here? Is that who I think it is? Oh, hello there, stranger. You look nice. You mind if I catch a car ride here with you? I'm hitchhiking here. The mayor of podcasts? Yeah, of course. Get in. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for picking me up, good show. You know, my thumb was actually getting pretty sleepy on the account of the fact that I was hitchhiking here. Moody Guliani, nice to meet you. I like the smell of this car. It smells good. Is that sausage smell? <sighs> yeah, I mean, the woman who rented me this car kind of insisted on putting some old sausage in the trunk, so I didn't really have the heart to take it out, but... Here's the thing, Mr. Guliani, we actually met. You came to my closet while you were campaigning a few months ago. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I think I remember you. Actually, no, I don't. I'm sorry. I have zero recollections of that moment. You know, I meet lots of people on the mayoral podcast campaigning trails. I'm talking here. All right, well, what are you doing all the way out here in the desert? Are you still campaigning? Okay, listen, I'll answer your first question now and the second question immediately. To be honest, I got lost on the campaign trail. I was chasing a tumbleweed, and before I knew it, I'm way out here in the middle of the desert once I caught the thing. It cut me up all over my arms. My campaign manager, he's a real piece of work. I'm complaining here. Well, who's your campaign manager? Me, of course. 
come on, I don't trust anybody but me to run every single bit of my campaign. I'm micromanaging here. All right, well, good to pick you up, Mr. Mayor, but I gotta get to the Batman part of things. Yeah, yeah, you do that. I'm gonna take a nap. All right, while he sleeps, time for... Today's episode, Perchance to Dream. Bruce Wayne wakes up to find that his parents are not dead, he is not Batman, and he's engaged to Selina Kyle. Original air date, October 19th, 1992. Story by Alan Burnett, Laren Bright, and Michael Reeves. Teleplay by Joe R. Lansdale of Bubba Hotep fame. Directed by Boyd Kirkland. Music by Shirley Walker. And animation by Dong Yang. Featuring all of your favorite regular voice actors, as well as Adrian Barbeau as Selena Kyle and Martha Wayne, Brian Cummings as the reporter, Diana Muldar as Dr. Leslie Tompkins, and, spoiler alert, Roddy McDowell as the Mad Hatter. I am doubting that anybody is going to be spoiled if you're already knee-deep in my podcast. Now, this episode is a fan favorite for a reason. It's a Mad Hatter-induced dream that places Bruce Wayne in a fantasy world where everything goes right. So, of course, our tortured, lovable psychopath does everything he can to prove it wrong because he is a wonderful guy who's supremely messed up inside. Eagle-eared fans will immediately recognize the Mad Hatter theme in the show's title card, and grammar fans will note that the phrase eagle-eared makes little to no sense. But you know what phrase does make sense? Perchance to dream, which, you Shakespeare heads, will recognize as a line from the famous to be or not to be soliloquy from Hamlet, in which Prince Hamlet decides whether or not to kill himself. Just like Batman. See, guys? Batman is the exact same thing as Shakespeare, so stop reading Shakespeare, start reading Batman. Hashtag Batman Shakespeare, stop reading Shakespeare. All right, uh, we've talked a bunch about this episode and a little bit about nothing, so let's get to those interviews. Today's fan, Jake Goldman. Jake's a real cool guy. I met him through the UCB improv scene, and since I've known him, he's worked on Futurama, Nick Jr., and now he writes for the Powerpuff Girls. He's an intelligent, comic-loving dude and brings a lot to the conversation, so let's get to it. You know who we're talking to because you saw his name. It's Jake mm-hmm. Goldman. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks a lot for having me. This is super fun. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, I mean, I ended up, I know you through UCB, but I listened to your episode of the Simpsons podcast that Allie Gertz and Julia Prescott do, yeah. and I was like, ooh, this guy can talk about cartoons. That's, I mean, it's what I, it's what I do. Uh, everything's coming up podcast. So we're oh yeah, Fred that's the name them. of it. That's the name of their podcast. It's great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, cartoons for me have always been like a really big thing. I've been working in animation since about two thousand eight, uh, and I've gotten to work with amazing people. I worked on Futurama. I worked on uh, a couple pilots for Fox that never went anywhere. I worked for Nick Jr., and now I'm working for uh, Cartoon Network over at uh, the Powerpuff Girls. Super exciting. So, yeah. Uh, so you've loved cartoons since the beginning. What 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 was your favorite cartoon growing up? Probably, I think, while we're dealing with Batman, it's all those Warner Brothers family of cartoons that, that they 90s had. That 90s Yeah. Uh, like Animaniacs. I think like Tiny Toon Adventures was like the first intro. Animaniacs was, I was like, yes. Pinky mm-hmm. and the Brain was... Like, it 100%. But if I had to, like, sum up even now, like, which of those when I was a kid kind of sunk in everything where I was like, this is the complete everything was Freakazoid. Yeah. Because it was a superhero story, but super, super funny and, like, weird. 
and yeah, it, it was some of the be- some of the best like writing I've still seen. You know. I rewatched. I have Frigasoid. I have Frigasoid. Right. <laughs> Frigasoid season one on DVD. Yeah. Uh, I have Frigasoid season one on DVD, and I just watched one. It's all the pop culture references are crazy. Like I don't know how I understood half of them. I don't think I did. There is, if you get uh, the season one of Frigasoid, it features the most '90s scene ever, where Frigasoid like is being greeted at the White House, and obviously like the Clintons are there, but two women fight over Frigasoid, and they're like, oh we love him and it's uh sharon stone and princess diana what? and like it's like these are his dream people and i'm like oh wow that that did not survive the decade nope there was that a was... judge ito reference he transforms into judge ito there's an episode where he is on a date and uh you know he keeps he drank something or got electrocuted with something and now he's out of control and he transforms into judge ito on a date I don't even know what a kid thought of that. So I was actually thinking, it was like Animaniacs did that too. Animaniacs had this entire musical short talking about deciphering variety headlines, like the the newspaper, the trade, you know, talking about all the Hollywood newspaper stuff. And I'm like, no kid knows what that is at all. No, Why would they? But... That's where we got our knowledge of Hollywood. It was yeah. like these like broad characterizations and then like this is what, you know, it's kind of like disgruntled writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just sort of, I think like when you're a kid and you watch something and you see something you don't understand, you fill in the blanks and you go, all right, I can see why it's important. I don't quite get the nuance behind it, but... Right, I understand the yeah. intent. Right, yeah. Which is the perfect joke. I mean, even talking about The Simpsons. We're here to talk about The Simpsons. Everything's oh, coming wow. up podcast. Hello. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but basically, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this. We Let's talk about Batman. Let's do it. I was about it. to detour to Simpsons. For, I've been listening to their podcast too much. Perchance to dream. Amazing. Right? Yeah. Uh, so going back to like around this time that Perchance to Dream was coming out, it I think it was a little bit after when I really started getting like deep into comics, not just the comics my dad like handed down to me. Uh, I was a big Marvel guy, mm-hmm. and the first storyline that I ever really like sunk my teeth into was Age of Apocalypse because I didn't realize because I was young enough I, was, I didn't realize that you could do that with a story where I'm like I'm gonna take all your characters and then I'm gonna put them in a slightly different world, you know, and that's what like Perchance to Dream does. You know, Batman wakes up. And he is in, like, a pleasant, not even a Pleasantville universe, but, like, the best possible universe for him, or at least what he sort of thinks it might be. Yeah, it feels like an Alan Moore one-shot. Yeah. Oh, like, uh, did you ever read Getting Super Nerdy? But why not? It's a Batman podcast. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons wrote this uh, great Superman one-shot called For the Man Who Has Everything. Yeah. Great, And they adapted it for the Justice League cartoon. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's all, it's... Like, that's a little bit different because obviously, like, Superman thinks he's part of that world that mm-hmm. he's imagining that uh, the Black Mercy, that's the flower. The that, weird like, alien yeah, flower that just, that's like, controlling him. But this uh, this episode, you know, starts with Batman. Just, you start with the chase right away. We're in it. We got it. Batman's chasing some goons at the docks. And I don't need any more explanation. Nope, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And they started in media res and I'm yep. on board. <laughs> and you're there. You're like, great. And then... A, you know, he gets blinded by some lights, something falls on top of him, and he just shoots back awake, and, you know, nobody knows who Robin is, he's pulling at, like, the clock, and it's not 
where, you know, there's no Batcave and his parents are alive and it's all, you know, and you're right off, like it's right into good, it. Yeah, it's such a good setup. It sucks you in immediately. Like mm-hmm. it gets out all the necessary information and then we're in it. Yeah. And, and I was like sort of thinking about uh, how you write this episode because, you know, both you and I uh, being comedy people, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, you've, I guarantee, I'm certain, have written a uh, a sketch that's a fake commercial. Sure. Right. And something that uh, Neil Campbell, former artistic director at UCB, now Comedy Bang Bang, uh, I remember him t- telling me is like a commercial, a comedy sketch commercial should feel like somebody actually commissioned it. Like they actually thought this was a good idea and they're still trying to sell something, but it falls flat. Because if you start to like wink at the camera, the audience is like, all right, we get it. You're not really being into it. Right. You're undercutting the idea. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about with this episode, if there really is ever a moment where we think that he isn't Batman, like he's, he's been wrong this entire time. Like if I had turned this on and we had no idea anything about Batman or anything about like the world that he lives in, if we just thought we just opened it and we saw that guy in a cowl chasing some people in a cool car Something falls and, the, and Bruce Wayne shoots awake and they provide all that exposition setting up like, tell me about my life. Who am I? And then he, you know, he sees Batman and then he has the conversation with uh, Dr. Tompkins and she create like she tells the most rational thing ever. And you sit there and go, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe this is just about a delusional playboy. Like, oh, yeah. You could say like if this were a short story and you didn't have Batman in it, it was like, yeah, you could you would buy that. Yeah, he's, he's made it all up himself. I mean, mm-hmm. that moment, as a kid at least, watching it, when Bruce Wayne sees Batman, I was like, oh, maybe yeah. maybe he isn't. Like, yeah. for a second, you're like, uh, maybe I'm crazy too. Well, the best part is he also, like, recoils in horror. You know, he's like, <laughs> oh, there's a lot of recoiling in this episode, and oh, a yeah. lot of, like, extreme fear, and I know a lot has been said about Kevin Conroy's acting in this one, and it's top-notch. Oh, it's great. It's phenomenal. He's playing Bruce and... Batman at one point and his dad. And his dad. Just, we got a little Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm. I guess Adrian Barbeau also played uh, Selena, uh, the, Martha Wayne. Yeah. As well as, you know, Selena. And, uh, yeah, it, it was just, he, like, the moment that you see the parents alive, his parents alive, is the moment that you, the audience, even if you are like, oh, I know he's really Batman, that's the moment that the you are met with something you can't explain. Right. And I think, like, that's the key to, when you're doing a story like this, to tricking the audience, is you have to give them something they can't explain, and then you can convince them of anything. Uh, Bill Watterson in Calvin and Hobbes talks about that, as to why people will still argue if Hobbes is real or he's not. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's a matter of, like, it's he hasn't made Calvin and Hobbes since 1994, but people still, like, talk about it. And, like, why does it sort of work? And he goes, I provide enough evidence for one side, and then I provide, like, evidence that contradicts it for the other. And so now you're sort of, as the audience, you are in this uh, weird state where you're willing to, like, imagine and believe anything. Mm -hmm. He is both real and he's both fake, just like it is for a kid, you know? And I think, like, so the moment that Bruce Wayne's parents enter is, like, a huge moment for the audience because you're just going, like, okay, now I see something I can't explain you know, we can be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, uh, he woke up and Alfred's brainwashed or drunk or whatever. And we're with Bruce. But now the world 
the world seems normal and Bruce seems crazy. Right. You've, I mean, you know, comedy talk, but like you've heightened the idea yeah. of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, also like they're gifting the audience with the better version of his life. So you're kind of rooting for the delusion. It's like yeah. you want to be convinced. You're like, well... I don't know, maybe if they provide enough evidence, uh, he really will not have a mm-hmm. horrible life and become Batman. Yeah, and they they also, like, sort of give you, it's a bit of the fan service of, like, oh, and you, you're engaged to Selena Kyle. Yeah. And we're like, oh, he's engaged to Catwoman. Part of you's like, oh, great, you're you're settling down a little, yeah. I guess. You finally have a functional relationship yeah. with somebody, and she's not a super criminal. Yeah, although I do have to point out, and this is, as I was watching it, there were a couple, like, small little nuances, is Alfred says, well, you got engaged to Miss Kyle last week. And then later, when she, like, comes to visit him in the office and, like, takes off her glove, being like, let mama make it all better... Uh, she's like, we're supposed to get married next week. And I'm like, a two-week engagement? You're crazy. That's the part of me where I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah, and as a kid, you're like, that's how marriage works. <laughs> I like you. Uh, let's get married. Yep. They hold hands and... <laughs> that's then, it. Uh, nothing, nothing else, else happens. And then a baby is just, like, spontaneously generated from some rags. Oh, look. Yeah. <laughs> ah, there it is. This is how right. babies work. Pat on the head. Oh, yep. And a happy life Bruce Wayne hat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's such a good... I mean, as a kid, did you... Were you such a huge fan of the show that you knew who the villain was when you heard that kind of theme, that cue music? No, I didn't quite realize that until I was older and was paying, like, more attention. And uh, so the villain, uh, spoiler alert, is Mad Hatter. Right who is, out of all the regular rogues gallery that Batman has, is all the way on the bottom end. Oh. Like, he is... They would have to do, like, eight Batman movies before somebody... Like, no one's ever like, let's see that good Mad Hatter story. But, I mean, it's... He's got a very, very simple game and a simple philosophy and a simple, like, tech mm-hmm. to him. He's like, I got brainwashing on lock. And so, you know, with this, they, like, expanded it into, like, the dream thing. But, like, I had, like, my exposure to Mad Hatter, super, super limited, I would say, at this point. I just, the only time that I ever knew him was from other Batman the Animated Series episodes. So, like, I knew the brain thing. He put a a hat on your head and makes you think He controls your brain and he loves Alice in Wonderland. Super simple. And he scorned and cries in every episode. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's like, he's the most he's not physically intimidating at all nope in fact i think like nowadays they kind of draw him very very tiny yeah he's a much smaller he kind of resembles those early mad hatter sketches yeah and you know and he's he's definitely crazy and voiced by uh roddy mcdowell Mm -hmm. who also uh voiced one of my favorite characters on pinky and the brain he voiced brain's arch nemesis snowball oh i didn't know that uh yeah and they had to he he had passed away before he finished recording like the final snowball episode, so they had to like write him out. I remember being like, "Ugh!" They was like part of a multi part like Ugh. arc, and it was kind of it was very heart wrenching. But like he's phenomenal, so and, good, yeah, and he's so pathetic. Yeah, <laughs> like he's, he's so, a very pathetic villain. <laughs> he's so pathetic, and then you know at the end when Batman finally like breaks free, mm-hmm. and there's no fight with the Mad Hatter. He just gets up there, and Mad Hatter is just pleading with him, like, "Why wouldn't you just leave it alone? I tried to give, give you, you what you, you wanted. wanted. Yeah, you know, s- give you your perfect life, so oh. you'll stay out of mine." It's uh, and I mean this episode is also at like its most 
Hamlet pathos, mm-hmm. like very, very. I mean, it takes the the big fight takes place on the top of a bell tower in a cemetery. Yeah, you know, and he practically like you know Bruce Wayne climbs it, and he knows that he has to fight Batman. He knows that this Batman of this universe is the key to everything, and he calls out to it, like summons him, and the lightning is coming, and he just comes from the sky and appears like how Batman would. Yep, and the two just fight and kevin conroy as the fake batman delivers all his lines like devoid of emotion very very flat Mm -hmm. you know like why do you suspect that mr wayne it's such a surreal scene yeah yeah and you know you we the audience are also like we know that the answer is behind the cowl Mm -hmm. we know that whoever it is is the key to it because there aren't any subtle nods that it's the Mad Hatter. There is nothing. There are, though, I did, uh, when rewatching it, I picked up, there are some really, really great nods that he's in a dream earlier. Like uh, What kind of stuff? So when he's with Selina and he looks out the window and he sees Batman and uh-huh. they run out and Batman is stopping a bank robbery. The robbers run out of the bank and it doesn't say bank on the writing the writing is all jumbled oh so they kind of track that idea mm -hmm, that you can't read in a dream because that's the big sort of like clue uh, which I actually don't know if that is real science or not apparently it is not Okay. That is, uh, yeah, it's been disproven, but for years I thought that it was true because of this episode. This is what I went into, like, Psych 101. I was like, well, I know this one thing about dreams. And they were like, yep. (laughs) Watch all of Batman the Animated Series and come back and take your final. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I would would do that class. Actually, that that kind of, I mean, you could diagnose, I think there is a podcast that's basically analyzing every Batman episode and then they psychoanalyze the villains. Yeah, and that's so, I mean, you got all, you know. All the sort of great little tropes. Everybody fits. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, but I love uh, like I like I like these sort of like trippy Twilight Zone episodes mm-hmm. that uh, play with the world and narrative structure in sort of a certain way that uh, leads you along and takes you out of your element. Uh, and I was thinking a lot about why I liked Batman the Animated Series as a whole. And it's abundantly this reason. And uh, as somebody who's working on a show that's rebooting and we have, like, we are very told that it's like, okay, keep in mind, what is the Powerpuff Girls story? What's their story? What's their focus? What's their thing? Because while the Powerpuff Girls are well-known and people know who they are, a lot of their world we have to sort of reintroduce. Mm-hmm. Batman has a luxury past that from episode like from the first season those early episodes they could craft a story where batman is not the main character in it like uh, joker's favor doesn't really it's not really about batman batman is practically like se- like second credit on oh that yeah one. so many episodes mm-hmm. batman's just second banana to yeah a character who's in only one episode mm-hmm. a thug you know, like, it's it's never too late is, like, yeah. you know, this redemption story and friendship between, like, a mob boss, his son, and then an old priest. But, yeah, but we all know what uh, Batman, like, we all know if what Batman is. I could go into any, like, person in the country and go, uh, give me Batman, where does he live, who are his, like, main villains, and, you know, they will be able to get enough out of it. They know Batman, they know Robin, they know Gotham, mm-hmm. they know the Joker, they know Penguin, like, they 
a whole lot of the world is already in the audience's minds, so you can uh, twist that. Yeah, you have a luxury to play with Elseworlds or what-if yeah. kind of stories. I mean, they never come out, like when he's like, you're supposed to marry Selena Kyle, and people who watch the show are like, I know that's Catwoman. But they never come out and say it until like he like kind of cheekily is like, tell me, have you... Selena, have you ever heard of Catwoman? And she's like, that's ridiculous. Batman, now that's a normal thing. Okay. You know, it's like, hmm. uh, you know. But yeah, that is, I mean, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. The fact that you can dive into it and the audience already has that much prior knowledge so you can jump to crazier stories. Yeah, I think, like, uh, it's, again, comedy and any sort of, like, anyone will always tell you it's, like, simple storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the story is just so, so simple. And when you first start out writing or like creating anything, you are like, no, it has to be complex. I got to sort of twist it and twist it. And the trick is you do something very, very simple at its core, like an easy emotional journey. And then you get to hang all the cool stuff on it because you could not do this um, Batman episode if it was Arrow, like first season of Arrow and, like, starting, like, right in the middle of it. Like, you couldn't quite do that. Yeah, you have to have your base reality. You mm-hmm. have to set the stage. Okay, these yeah. are all the facts. Then we can twist it. Right. Uh, and so I, I just love that. And I love that they were, uh, like, as a whole, that the whole creative team could do that. And they had, like, and they did it well. You yeah, know? it felt like There's... they were always pushing themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we, and, like, comics have that luxury because, like, yeah, X-Men is X-Men. We got it. Like, the cast changes, but we understand how it works, and mm-hmm. it's been you know going on for decades. So, it's, yeah, how can and we And the people it? reading comics are mm-hmm. going to be much more, you know, I mean, they're fanboys versus, yeah. you know, your average kid who's just right. tapping into a TV show, which is going to be much broader. Mm-hmm. But then there's still plenty of stuff for if all I know is Batman, and I know that he's got to punch a bad guy, mm-hmm. he does it. You yeah. Know? I... Well, I'm surprised at how little action there is in this episode, though. Like, we have that chase. Yeah. We have the fight in the bell tower or wherever. It's like Batman stops a bank robbery. Right. You know. But otherwise, it's kind of just Bruce Wayne going insane and then, or thinking he's insane mm-hmm. and then maybe coming to terms with it and then realizing it's not true. And, like, it's, it's more there, of an emotional yeah. journey. And the whole entire thing, though, it also hinges on, like, that, that uh, Bruce Wayne thing of, like, he's just like, my parents aren't dead. Then the nightmare is over. And he like brightens up and mm-hmm. he's just like happy. I love seeing it. Because yeah. that also is real. Regardless yeah. of whether or not we're in a dream, that is Bruce thinking as Bruce. Mm-hmm. He's going to remember that. That is him yeah. accepting that reality. This, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone would argue with the fact that Bruce's entire life, if you go like there's the before and there's the after. And he's like, Batman was born the day my parents were shot in front of me. Yeah. That is the moment that Bruce Wayne lost complete touch with reality. And now has become like, uh, you know, he's an operating sociopath. You know, but he's still Batman, so he's awesome. Yeah, we love him. We love uh, We love that sociopath. We love that sociopath. I can't say enough good things about him. (laughs) But yeah, it's um, real, real fantastic uh, all around. And like we said, the the voice acting is great, great from Kevin Conroy, Adrian Barbeau. And um, I, I think it's a... Uh, Brian Cummings is the two. There are two voice actors. There's Jim Cummings and Brian Cummings. Yeah. 
and uh, I believe it's Brian Cummings who does a whole bunch of like the incidentals in it. Yeah, he's, he's got, a reporter is what yeah, it says here. He's got a real traditional uh, cartoon voice. Like you hear it and you go, yeah, I know what that is. And it's, uh, it's he's another one who I'm like, oh, always good. In a lot of these episodes, he's just, you know, thug number two. Well, for a while that was like Corey Burton. Mm-hmm. I feel like at this era, in this era, he was like doing a lot of like those fill-in yeah. roles and now he's like, fucking everywhere that's i mean that's just how it is that's it's voice acting and it's great you know it's super super fun uh yeah did you pull anything from batman like being a writer now who gets Mm -hmm. to work in animation is there anything you could pull from watching the series i mean you talked a little bit about it uh almost as inspiration yeah i i think um uh personally i think my role in the writer's room is i'm the comic book nerd that they hired (laughs) so when it comes to uh solving action uh sequences like that's where i feel like that's where i come in because if you're going to have your big kickoff to like end or a fight you want to be using uh everything that you've laid out and right. you want your uh, protagonist to be using something they've learned over the course of it and so this show and batman in general and comics in general that's how it is that's what separates like oh we just punched a lot mm-hmm. and now we're done it's like no we punched a lot but over the course of this fight like i've learned or this episode i've learned a secret about you and i know how to stop it mm-hmm. and it'll still require a leap of faith in this episode's case, case quite literally as he jumps off he jumps to kill himself yeah and his face is like fearful as he falls because he doesn't know if this is going to work or not it's nuts that they got away with it oh yeah oh my god i look at some of the stuff that i the smp notes that we have to deal with now just guns period Mm -hmm. being in this is it's crazy i mean i've talked to some writers and i've talked about it on the show but it's like oh yeah we just called them dark deco weapons and we could get away with it it's like uh they will like do something and they're like if they'll come along and be like oh cool a dead body and they're like and then the person sits up and they go oh my god it's a zombie and we'll get smp notes being like okay um try to get to zombie as fast as possible like we can't live in the moment that they think it's an actual dead body i know like it's uh, i mean that's just standards and practices and evolving sort of like things but yeah they um for for me that's where like, I mean, Batman is the most inventive of heroes. You know, he's always has, like, he the secret and he's learned. Mm-hmm. And even when he loses, he learns. Sure. That's the, like, that's, like, to me, that was always, like, the appeal to him. Uh, we were talking uh, off mic before, maybe on mic, I don't know, about Grant Morrison. Yeah, how uh, about his Doom Patrol run? Yeah, and his run on JLA, mm-hmm. in which Batman is a part of, uh, features one of, like, the pinnacle Batman moments where they have uh, these, like this superhero team of aliens comes and they turn very quickly turn the world against the justice league and they take out everybody but batman they think they've killed batman they crash his plane and then the next issue opens up where he's like breaking in through the skylight and just being like crashing the plane taught me everything i need to know about beating them and these three like superheroes who went toe-to-toe with superman earlier like surround him and it reveals that he tricked him, and he's like, I knew that you were Martians the entire time, lights it on fire, and they just all start panicking, and he cracks his knuckles and goes like, let's begin. And he takes down, like, he just wipes them all out. And again, it was, his, he was just always, even when he lost his plane, had to get shot down for him to figure it out. But, and, and like, 
because we learn along with the character, it becomes really, really rewarding uh, as the audience. Well, that's one of my favorite tropes of Batman. I mean, and I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know if, it, if that was the first time it happened. I haven't actually read that JLA run, which I've heard is also great. I'll lend it to you. Uh, so. it's, I, I'm behind on my Morrison. I read his recent Batman stuff, and then Doom Patrol was the yeah. most recent thing. But uh, I love when villains underestimate Batman. It's the most satisfying thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's the ones that, I mean, I think that's why, like, everyone got really, like, gets excited for Bane. Because, like, Bane, especially on his early, like, run of Nightfall, like, he was smarter than him. Or, like, you can you can trick Batman 99% of the time. But the mm-hmm. problem is, is he keeps getting up and he will find that 1%. Yep. And then you will just be taken out. Because he just, you know, it's the never gives up and his... Uh, philosophy and Mm -hmm. you know you know that if he like in perchance a dream he would have kept going and done anything he could until he got his answer and if he couldn't then he jumps off a clock tower and if that had killed (laughs) him rather die right and know that they're the mystery okay great it wasn't a mystery but i'm dead (laughs) uh can i i also want to pause to the other things that i noticed one it features a very quick scene where he runs in in a turtleneck that Archer eventually stole and painted black. Like, he's yeah. like, my action turtleneck. And he runs in, or tactical turtleneck, whatever they call it. And he runs in, and I don't know why they felt that they had to have it, but he runs into a, a good store and he just goes, I need a flare gun and some flares. And the guy goes, yeah, okay. That's a perfectly natural thing to ask for. Yeah. But he still came out, like, so aggressively. He's so intense. Also, mm-hmm. I think he bought a grapple, which I, I know he, like, buys a bunch of stuff, and he does not use everything. Yeah, I think, like, the implication was that he was going to be using it to climb the clock tower. Right. Uh, and then, I, you know, I'll, sometimes, though, it's it's what ends up you write long and then you have to get down. And, oh, I'm sure it was know, a relic of like yeah, a Yeah, you have like a little something sort of left over and, and you know, they'll probably tell uh-huh. you like, oh, we had something really cool for that. <laughs> he was going to fucking use that flare gun and like uh, yeah. just shoot flares in the air. <laughs> yeah. But like if, if you're writing and it's the Chekhov's gun thing, you know, you gave him some flares. If he had used the flares, you would have been like, oh, so that's why he had it. He blinded the other Batman and used it to get the upper hand. You know, I think it's... It's just all it's just all really really great and like I said it's there's that just really really fun thing of we put Batman who is never happy like mm-hmm. by his definition even when he, every smile is like a fake smile and we put him in a world where your problems are solved like you know Alfred even says it to him was like it's a leisurely existence but you know your parents are fine like this is the world if there was no Batman mm-hmm and so that's why he's almost like kind of okay with it until he sees Batman in this world and is like, no, wait, hang on. No, 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 no. That's supposed to be me. That's... I don't get to be that. <laughs> right. I don't get to do all those awesome things. And like, but then if it's not me, then who is it? You know? Yeah. It's very, it's very chilling. I mean, like he recoils insanely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he, I mean, like, I feel like as a kid, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, when you're a kid watching it, you're like, but who is it? And you have to know. Mm-hmm. And just as he has to know, and he spends the rest of the time just going, I, I, I got what, but why? I was such a Batman nerd at that point that I knew the minute they play the Mad Hatter's sting yeah. in the title card, I was like, well, the Mad Hatter's going to be in this episode. But I was like, that's like 1% of yeah, people watching it. I, I do you have think, to be a real though, super nerd. That's, but that's such a cool thing. And that's the other thing, uh, stylistically, what set 
this show away from everything else. It was this uh, this super super gorgeous art and um, like a, the, a lot of stuff is done in uh, you know there's shadow and there's a lot of playing with like absence of light mm-hmm. and so there it creates like this sort of mood to everything that just uh, really really just works and they were allowed to to do I say allowed to do they chose to do this really really like dark mature cartoon and somehow it could still appeal to like us as kids at the time but also us as adults where i'm going yeah no this is awesome like it's still Still holds up still (laughs) holds up and like the stories are very very rich and the writing is they are keep everything as short and as brief as like so sparse i mean it really is just whatever it needs but so much of it's Mm -hmm. visual and I think especially early, like, you know, in the first or second season of the show, there's just silence. Yeah. Which is an uncomfortable, I mean, it's an uncomfortable thing in real life to just sort of stare in silence. Right. But uh, the fact that in animation, then that puts everything on uh, the board artists and the, the acting that they have to, like, convey in that. You know, Samurai Jack was really, really great at that, where he's like, Samurai Jack would be... Like, there would be episodes where you would only talk, like, there'd be, like, five lines and then two to, like, close out and then uh, 13 minutes of just fighting. Just a visual treat. A visual treat, <laughs> and you're just going, ah, and they're doing all that storytelling yeah. like that. Uh, and this show did that in a universe that we all sort of knew and understood and could do these uh, very, very, like, complicated fights and have Batman move in a way that you, like could see a man moving and be impressed by. Yeah. You know, it was just cool. I mean, I guess that was another thing. There were, I was talking to Kevin Altieri, who was like a director mm-hmm. and board artist on the show, and he was saying that the way that they had to fight was also specified. Like, yeah, uh, they had to, like, it had to prove, it's like, okay, cool. Like, it couldn't be a thing that a kid could do. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that they would be trained to do. I mean, that's yeah. like a... Imitatable behavior is like, the thing yeah that, you know that's exactly the note uh, so it, it's like it has to be like you'd have to train to do like jujitsu <laughs> right well i think like so if you are ever making cartoons anybody listening they'll be like yeah uh like you're saying the the deco guns it's like okay uh i can't give them a like pistol mm-hmm. that like you can't have them use it but i could give them a giant bazooka and they'll go great I feel Not like there hard. were so many giant bazookas as mm-hmm. the show, as this show yeah. went on. There was always like a goon on a speedboat with yeah. a giant bazooka, and then because then it's like, oh yeah, no kid's gonna get his hand on a military grade <laughs> weapon. That's fine. Yeah, you can do overkill, but you can't do kill. Yeah, and you know, it, can't it, be the it, rifle that somebody keeps under yeah. the bed. But uh, yeah, the, but I do like. I just love the style and the you know the, the Tommy gun sort of like do 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 do. You know, you see the sparks like lead up to Batman as he dodges out of the way. Yeah. It's all it's all just great. And that title card yeah. is one of my favorites for the episode. Oh yeah, with uh the like the moonlit sort of like background mm-hmm. and just uh the the beautiful like writing that they have and everything. It's Yeah, I don't know if that was an original typeface or not, but it looks like it. it it's beautiful. I don't know who did who uh who did that because um sometimes uh like on futurama anything that you read 
was done by one specific de- designer named uh, Shoban Christenzu, who's mm-hmm. uh, an artist for Bongo Comics. And it was because we they didn't trust uh, anybody else to... Ma- like, there was a lot of visual gags to read. They had this whole alien language, and that means that they needed... They're like, we needed that guy to do it, and that's what he did. Anything that was written, even if it was just numbers... He on like a VCR, he would be in charge That's of, so and he would be designing it. That's so but, cool. Yeah, but then on some like Nick Junior shows I do, and they go, "Well, what we what the board artist did," and it'll be in the background, and it'll be part of the background as opposed to just sort of like laid on top of it and like a separate layer. So I don't know if they had their own guy or, mm-hmm. or thing. It's you know different for every production i love that there are still shows that are using those like i feel like mm-hmm. adventure time it was yeah. it's like all of their title cards feel like they're like have that reverence to like making it a separate piece of art yeah i think that also it goes into the style of show that you're doing because mm-hmm. like uh, adventure time is very much kid playing with his action figures on crack mm-hmm. that's how like they're animated that's how they like the world is it has that uh, whimsicalness about it of like, I'm a kid, I I have time to kill with my toys in my backyard, I'm going to create a world. Mm-hmm. And it's just going, you know, I'm saving a different princess all the time. And so all the Adventure, title, Adventure Time title cards have that same sort of feel to it. All these Batman title cards fit the mood of the show that they're doing. Yeah. And that's why, like, um, I, I do kind of like now as an adult that they have, each villain has their overture. You know, and that's, it's, if you were watching an old, like, opera, it would be like, yep, and this is the villain's song, let's play it as they come on in, you know, they walk into the saloon and they start playing, you know. Well, right, every part of the mm. art of it supports yeah. the character, like, everybody was writing or creating toward character and story, mm-hmm. I guess that was the overarching, you know, kind of mantra for the show, like, yeah. like great, story above all. And I, I think that, it, and, you know... At this time, because the first, the Batman movies had just come out, Mm -hmm. but I mean, a lot could be said about Tim Burton really bringing that Batman back because everyone knew Adam West. And I think there's even a story of like, at like some award show, someone made fun of Jack Nicholson for being like, oh, you're starring in the Batman movie. Right. It was not cool at the time. It was very not cool and nobody believed in it. And Jack Nicholson was like, hey, you just got to trust me. And it completely... Uh, brought the character back to its original roots. And, and it took that, a guy yeah. like Burton, who like wasn't a huge Batman fan no. at all, admittedly. I mean, I think it does take like an outside voice sometimes to mm-hmm. bring it back to something, you know, like to bring it back to its roots, but also shape it in a different way. Yeah, I think you need like you. That's that's the benefit of fans is mm-hmm. because they'll go and they'll take a look at the work that you're doing, and because when you're working on something, you are really inside it. And you'll be sitting there and you'll seeing all the flaws that they have. Anything that you put out, you're just like, oh my God, what a mistake that was. Or they're going to know that we dropped that frame. Or they're going to they're gonna realize we, we didn't do anything with the flares. Like they're going to yeah. realize it. But the, the fans will sit there and they'll go, no, 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 what this is about. Like here's where the, the richness, the meat and potatoes of everything is. And they get, you know, that's... Yeah, the fans deriving the important meeting, meaning yeah. from it. And, uh, yeah, you know, if... You, Enough. You get enough people in a room, you're going to get a group mind. You get enough fans going. Like fans will have, uh, you'll have their opinions, and you'll meet in any fandom the crazy fans. Oh sure, you don't you know. want to have like all fans in right. a room, but you want some people who have a reverence and like 
also um, uh, creativity yeah. that's you know but if you like listen if you listen to enough sampling of it you're going to start to like distill down into a, i guarantee like if you listen to all the podcasts if you've recorded with all the fans i get you'll see a whole bunch of themes just slowly start to develop of like, oh, yeah. oh yeah this is what we all sort of like dug into right adult theme. i mean like honestly that is uh, that's very true like yeah. everybody wants to talk about how there were stories about humans mm-hmm. and not just batman yeah and you know i think that uh this it really started to suffer when they brought in superman and became the batman superman adventures and they changed the animation style uh that's always been like the hard part for a lot of people is like how do you reconcile a world that can give us batman and a world that can give us superman you know Mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of great writers who have been able to do that but that was like this great appeal of this cartoon world you know, there might have been like, oh yeah, and the Joker last seen in Metropolis, so like make that throwaway. But there's no mention of like anybody else outside of uh, villains who are or people who, ha- who Batman has to deal with directly that are uh, th- that are superpowered. Right. They widen the scope in that mm-hmm. last season. Yeah. But I think you kind of have to. Or sure. Maybe. I mean, also, I'm sure they you know hit a point where they're like, great, we told. Mm-hmm. 80 something stories with this guy yeah. as as it is like i'm sure they were just itching to do something new and they're comic book fans and yeah. want to play in the arena of and like the superman cartoon was also like come out very very good yeah really really good, good. terrible n64 game oh the, the worst. worst i played through ever. the entire game really i used cheats to get to the final level and using all the powers and it was still terrible it was awful it was i was there for the voice acting and because yeah, the voice acting, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> There's nothing else. Like, you flew through rings? Yeah. I, it just seemed like, oh, Lois is in trouble. Better fly through all these rings. <laughs> oh, just like up. a Superman episode. Yeah. So, uh, just like, uh, I just yeah. bought on. I bought the Sega Genesis. Oh? Batman the Animated Series, or the Adventures of Batman and Robin game. Sweet. Very excited. I didn't have a Sega as a kid. Oh, wow. So Yeah, I was a Nintendo household. I was a Nintendo kid, too. Yeah. Uh, and so I just got a Sega Clay Larson. Mm-hmm. Uh, another improv dude he was getting rid of it so i have like his old sega and it has his name written in it and i was like well i gotta buy all the animated batman games that i can get my hands yeah. on just pull it pull those in so all one of them for this system but yeah uh, speaking of like like because uh, that just reminded me of like another it was another video game another licensing but talking about cartoons sure. and this was not in the warner brothers thing but the tick oh i love was the tick. also just another superhero like fun genre thing like an amazing amazing cartoon uh that really i'm like nobody else still does or that sort of no, thing it's like such a weird middle ground because the first two seasons were on fox mm-hmm. fox kids yeah and the third was on comedy central yeah that's crazy like the it's... fact that they were like oh this will be better mm-hmm. for adults it wasn't like they upped you know didn't get like cruder yeah. or more adult really and now well now so cartoon networks has teen titans go right which i think is like the spiritual successor to that style of storytelling not saying like oh it's the tick they're the same thing but if i like as for kids today what the tick was to me i guarantee teen titans go is to them even though it was following up an amazing another amazing series in the spirit of the DC animated universe, which they are just on point for hundred percent. I think they just found like they found their market and they know how to like hit it. And it's, you know, it's great. It's there's so much good stuff out there. Mm -hmm. I feel like it. I mean the tick. Yeah. I think the tick and Freakazoid were pretty much the only two. 
Although Freakazoid was more like Looney Tunesy with yeah. its bits, whereas The Tick did have the pace of Batman, mm-hmm. even if it was still jokey, but it yeah. was like slower. There, well, it was like Freakazoid could go and like it was just jokes, 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 mm-hmm. jokes, jokes, and he could solve it. And like he, his powers were always just like whatever, punch, we're done, sure. hilarious bit, you know. Everybody, it, but like The Tick, it was where we have the villain. Every episode was the Tick versus Blink, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know they were they he would still have to like solve that problem. And there were normal people problems like yeah. oh no my you know like Arthur's sister's coming over. <laughs> <laughs> you know like there was like a sitcommy element yeah. to the Tick. God, I love Dinosaur mm-hmm. Neil so much. Dino- oh, the best. Just my, a nice guy who was eating like <laughs> dinosaur growth cells out of a petri dish. Uh, it also features one dinosaur Neil episode. I know we're now talking about the Tick podcast, but yeah. it features uh, they're like we we they're gonna grow dinosaur Neil, and it's like we're gonna implant a turn him into a giant dinosaur again and implant a like a brain device in him or brain control a mind control device and they're like but how are we going to get somebody in and they're like meet the special agent the indigestible man nothing nobody could digest him and he like walks in they're like how do we know that he's legit and he just sticks his hand in someone's mouth and goes go on (laughs) try it and they're just like all right those are like some simpsony jokes like that's why i liked it too uh i mean and it also feels like a precursor for like venture brothers Mm -hmm. which i guess you know which is name jackson uh julian mccullough or not julian Mm -hmm. mccullough that's somebody else somebody chris mccullough right last name mccullough you know whatever pen name jackson Mm -hmm. public was a board artist on the tick yeah and so that's why you know all these all these ones batman going back to batman the animated series i'll bring it back it's storytelling 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 Mm -hmm. and i said this on uh the everything's coming up podcast plug 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 again it's great but it's like family guy like freakazoid really really fantastic fantastic stuff great great jokes but it's the jokes that stick with you. But with Batman the Animated Series or The Simpsons, it's the stories that do. Yeah. Like, there are so many of these where the villain just ends up breaking down. Or Batman, like, he wins but doesn't quite win. Like, even in Perchance a Dream, it ends with him walking away, you know. Gordon's like, yeah, another thing for the lab boys to play with. And then it's like, what do you think it's made of? And he just goes, stuff dreams are made of. And you could tell, like, he just got mind-fucked. It's like, he's, yeah, just leave me the fuck yeah, alone Yeah, he's right like, <laughs> I gotta go be alone because, I mean, imagine you're Batman and the big thing hanging over your head was for your entire life is your parents getting gunned down in front of you and you blame yourself and you feel like worthless for everything and then all of a sudden you're put in a world where that that didn't happen and you you feel this weight like lifted off you and he could have just stayed down. He could have stayed down, but instead... He, like, I had to break free, and now I have to live with the consequences, and I'm back to being the shadow. Yeah. You know? He values that truth, that horrible truth, truth. over any mm-hmm. sort of, you know, yeah. dream. One of my, the one thing that stuck with me when rewatching it was like, oh, why didn't the Mad Hatter ever unmask him? <laughs> yeah, they, they also have to go out of their way, and I could tell this is sort of like, well, let's make sure that we get this out of the way as fast as possible. With like, so you know who I am? And he goes, nope, nope, just the dream me does. No, we don't yes. have any monitors. You're okay. Uh, you have to sort of like answer that question because you know that uh, the network note was coming in. They're like, wait, I don't, is he, what? is this a thing? 
Uh, and I think, like... You I read always, it off, Hatter doesn't care. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, it's below the Mad, like, Mad Hatter's, uh, like, brain function. He was like, that's not what concerns him. He does not care who Batman is. I want is. you out of my life mm-hmm. so I can be a creep. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, like, the Joker never really cares who Batman is. He just cares to kill Batman. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would be like, all right, well, I'll find out who Batman is for the purpose of killing him. Right. But, like, it's the Mad Hatter, it's the same thing. It's like, I just wanted Batman just gone. Mm-hmm. If I could strap him to this thing and leave him there forever, great. And he's like, he does not care who's underneath the mask because that's not what's important to him. Yeah, that's more of a Riddler thing anyway. Yeah. It's uh, Riddler. It's like I gotta solve this unanswerable question. He's obsessive, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, so I, uh, the fanboy in me, totally buys that the Mad Hatter just doesn't care. Oh sure, yeah. You can. I was just like, as a kid, I was like, why? Yeah. Because you're thinking like a sane person, right? You know, and you gotta forget. Remember, like this is a guy who dressed up as Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland and change places, <laughs> sort of thing. And also, let's, you know, let's, we'll put in our little logic, like, take off the helmet to take the cowl off. He's yeah. probably back. Yeah. There we go. There you go. Done Solved and done. Solved it. Easy. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, uh, no, I think I, like, I covered a lot of it. I mean, I just, uh, again, it's, this was, I think, uh, this podcast has proved such an influential show because there is insane value for... Uh, not talking down to your audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what allows this show to... I, oh, another reason why the show can be so timeless is because it doesn't talk down. Like, this was a show marketed to kids, selling Batman toys and all this stuff like that, and the kids watched and really, really enjoyed. But it isn't necessarily by the definition a kid's show. It doesn't pull its punches uh, emotionally or physically at you know at anything and there is uh you know there's insane value of not being you know don't treat your audience softly like yeah they're trust them they're smart well people underestimate kids in general mm-hmm. i think that's you oh, know yeah. like the bad cartoons do talk down to kids oh, well yeah. then there's a preschool market which is it's, different like you yeah. have to talk down i, to I worked point. on a preschool show and our standards notes were always like sort of ridiculous but lay it out more uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they were just like, like, I get it. It's like you are talking to the most uh, impressionable age. Sure. Totally, totally buy it. And I'm not saying that, like, a, you know, a kid's going to watch something, they might try to imitate it at home. Like, I, I totally understand. I totally get that. But I'm talking about um, emotionally, like, doing stuff that, like, we were talking about. It's like a kid may not understand it 100%. But they'll understand it enough, like, they understand what it means for Batman. Yeah. You know, and they're like, I get that. I know where Batman's coming. I understand what it means, like, for him to do it. Like, we, you get, like, the big, like, Shakespearean fighting you know, nuance, you know. I'll, you know, it's like, if you don't wake up from the dream, I'll see you in my nightmares. Like, I get what that means as a kid. But as an adult, I really get what that yeah. means. And I can unpack it in all these interesting ways. And ideally, you're so, being challenged and grow yeah. as a kid by the material you're watching. And it's not just, like, it, washing it, over you. Yeah, and it helps you. Like, I think uh, my dad gets full credit for, like, uh, introducing me for to comics. And he even explicitly said, you do this, it'll help your vocabulary. It helped immensely. You pick up like all these turns of phrases, especially dated turns of phrases a lot. Oh, yeah. you'll be reading. Which are fun and comedy. Yeah. (laughs) I'd read like old 60s Spider-Man type stuff. I mean, any Stan Lee, anything. He's just the most verbose, ridiculous Mm -hmm. human being. But uh, it's, uh, that's, uh, that's just the value of just like 
you know, treat your audience like they're smart and you're going to get a smart audience. Yeah. Well, thanks so, for yeah. coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I was very excited to be here. I'm sleeping here. Oh, I'm counting sheep in here. Uh, well, it sounds like the mayor of podcasts is still napping, so oh, why don't we get to the next interview, huh? Press conferences. Today's guest, Alan Burnett. Alan Burnett is a writer, producer, and one of the driving forces behind what made Batman the Animated Series great. He's worked on everything from Smurfs and Super Friends and the Scrooge McDuckiverse. I don't know, you know, all the shows that had the talking ducks that were part of the Disney Afternoon Uh, as well as all of your favorite shows in the DC Animated Universe. Hell, he came up with the story for Mask of the Phantasm. He wrote Justice League Gods and Monsters, which just came out. So, take it away, podcast! Why don't we just start with how you got involved? Well, um, I'll go back to, uh, I was worked at Hanna-Barbera in 81, which is like a century ago. And, uh, and I just, I started there. And within two years, I was a story editor on this show called Super Friends. They had um, two seasons to go. And they wanted to get some new blood in there. So they got me because they knew I loved comic books. And I wrote a pilot out of that. I wrote a pilot for Batman at the time for ABC, which was for Saturday morning, and it just was too adult for them. But my boss, Gene McCurdy, who later became the boss of uh, Warner Brothers Animation, knew how much I loved Batman and you know knew, the, knew about the pilot. And um, she tried to get me over there. And, for, and I was at that time trying to get out of animation. I decided I was going to do something else. And, uh, but uh, I saw the, the trailer that uh, Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski had done for the show. And she assured me that I could have guns in the show and I could have fighting, I could have fists in the show, which is something I've never been able to do. Uh, and so I came over and, I was, and have been very happy about it ever since. So what was your first, did you interview for the, you know, for the, job or were you pretty much just brought on from your experience they um they they had started the show but they were having trouble with the show and uh so she wanted somebody uh somebody else to come in and 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 head head production for this especially on the story side of it so um so um that's we had three lunches. It took three lunches for her to convince me that I could have guns in a show because really <laughs> you cannot understand how new that was when you work in Saturday morning. I mean, I couldn't even have characters make a fist uh and or not hit laser anything. blasts or yeah, although if there were any laser blasts they are they're all fanned out, so there there's no impact to them whatsoever. If you look at the old super friends i mean it's it's a show that was meant to be for kids but two-year-olds too so there was nothing aggressive about it and so this was batman the animated series when i started working on it i said i'm going to forget everything 
that I was told to do for Saturday morning and just start afresh and push that envelope as much as we possibly could. And we did. What stories did you come up with? Uh, like when you first showed up, did you have ideas in mind? Yeah, well, mostly I wanted to do a Two-Face story Yeah, pretty quickly because I love Two-Face. I think he's just a beautiful, beautiful conception. And uh, and he's not a character I, I think you can tell a lot of good stories about, like Joker. You can tell endless stories about Joker. But there's you could tell some really bizarre, uh, involving stories with Two-Face, and that's who I wanted to attack when I first came in. Yeah, I mean, that first two-parter is really... Yeah, so that was uh, incredible. That was about that was the first thing I wrote was the outline for the uh, for the uh, first two parter. Well, that makes sense going into the series saying you're going to ditch everything you did on other stuff. Yeah. That two parter is very adult. Yeah, and uh, Randy Rogel, a good friend of mine, uh, wrote the script, and it was great. Yeah. So, what was your role on the series? I mean, it seems like you did quite a bit. I well, I I just I can I handled all the stories. And, and which is not to say that we didn't discuss them all the time with everybody. Sure. Uh, but the story started with me, and they ended with me. And uh, uh, and then they went out to be recorded. I'd go to recordings, and um, and and that kept me busy. So, who? What? What do you think made the series so impactful? Why do you think it endures as such a great piece of animation? I think there. Uh, it, it was real. It's really the first time, I think anybody took superhero seriously, like Batman. I mean, really seriously. And it was about a, a love for the comic books, because we went through all the comics and the. We went through all the comics, uh, t- it's taking what we liked from them, and uh, so it's an amalgamation of all those elements from the comics that we, we enjoyed. And um, and it was um, it was beautifully animated and beautifully scored, uh, and it was uh, it's just done with a lot of love. And it was for it, 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 we weren't we we were under children's programs, but they wanted to they wanted it was an afternoon show, so we could push things that you wouldn't see in a morning show. So. The stories had some. The stories had appropriate violence and and action and um, some adult themes that we not you know that we were unable to do on Saturday morning. Now you, you kind of mentioned that you were pouring through the comics. Uh, were you a comic fan growing up? Yeah, I was a big comic fan. Um, I was one of those kids who had you know hundreds of comics and don't know where they are now and um, in those long boxes probably somewhere in a garage well, i didn't know just a box you know. <laughs> <laughs> the long boxes came later um but um yeah i love i love comics there's a there, um when we first started uh the series they they sent they flew me over to uh dc in new york and paul levitz who uh, was I think the vice president of DC at the time, who became president, um, he, and he was a comic book writer and a lover of comics. He went through all the the detective comics from like 1955, detective and Batman comics from 1955 until that present, which was like 1991. 
And he just went through and said, oh, this story is about this and this story is about that. I mean, oh, man. He, he, has, he has an encyclopedic mind. But there came a time like when, like the, in, in my ninth year, when, uh, when I realized I was nine years old and this is the, my first Batman comic. This is the first one I read. And, um, and it, was just, it was just fascinating to go through, through them all that way. And uh, we literally went through every comic. We will every 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 Batman and Detective comic just to get give give ourselves an overview. Uh, How Marty, long did that take? Uh, took uh, it was pretty fast. I mean, we we didn't linger, uh, but it took it took a, at least a full day, maybe two days. Yeah, that's a ton. Uh, yeah, Marty Pasco, who's one of my um, uh, story editors, was with me at the time. So. Uh, but uh, Paul Levitz is he, he's just remarkable. Um, he re, he's, he's got a photographic memory for comics, I'll tell you that. Where, did you have any favorite Batman comics growing up? Um, geez, you know, there's so many that I liked. Or were there any characters, villains that stood out to you? Well, Two-Face. I remember reading Two-Face in a Batman annual. And thinking this is the greatest <laughs> villain, uh, you know. What do you like about Two Face? Uh, that he's uh, he's uh, he's crazy, but he has he has rules to his craziness, right? And uh, and so um, so you can sort of understand him. When we did Two Face, I called up uh, a, a, a psychologist to ask him about Two Face. I said because um, I had to come up with I wanted to come up in my mind with sort of why where he went wrong and uh and uh but i but i'm i'm dealing with largely a kid audience so i didn't want to get too technical and apparently you know anything can offset you according to this psychologist i mean it could be a little thing it doesn't have to be your father smacking you around every day it could be something that just is like it festers like a, a pearl inside uh uh, you know, inside an oyster, it just it just happens. Well, that's what I loved about the Two Face Two Parter is that he, you know, you really felt for the guy. Like he did seem like a, Harvey's a good guy, but there's something festering that yeah. anger boiling underneath, and the way it was visually represented was so cool. Yeah, we had he, it, it turned out pretty well. We enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, well, so moving on, you're you're working at Batman and. So what what's the day to day process like while you were working on the series? I I, <laughs> I just remember I used to get in early, like like seven thirty sometimes, so I could just start the day and get some get things going. It was a day of talking about stories, constantly talking about stories, and rewriting and getting the red pen and changing things. I mean, a lot of my writing is ingrained in that without. You know, I, I I can't tell you where where I begin or leave off in a lot of things. It's sure, just, you're revising. You have a yeah. hand in everything. Yeah, so that's what that was about. But I think that's what helped the series feel so consistent is that there were people who were shaping it after everybody else had worked on it. And too. I had wonderful people working for me. I had Michael Reeves and I had uh, Paul Dini. Michael comes from a sci-fi background, a writer of books and television and uh, animation and and uh, Paul Dini everybody knows who Paul Dini is so and uh, so uh, so I had wonderful people working for me and I had um, 
two great young producers in uh, Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim. So, and I had a, uh, I you know what I, I had a network that was wanted us to go the limit. Um, there was our programmer was uh, uh, over at Fox um, with Sidney Warner and uh, and he was always pushing. He was always pushing for us to do as good as we could. And he was always pushing to do more adult stuff. And the BSMP department, in other words, the censors at Fox, also understood what we were trying to do and also tried to um, help us achieve achieve it. And we were in the afternoon, so it was a different age group, and we could we and we could p- push the envelope. But Fox, as a network, had much to do with the success of the show in that they they really they really allowed us a lot of freedom. So do you, do you remember if there were any episodes, I guess, I'm, I'm sure there were so many stories pitched. Are there any episodes that you can remember that didn't make it to air that you really liked or just that were memorable? Well, there was the one that didn't make it to the air is kind of famous is the story about the gun. There was a, we, we um, I think it was Tom Ruger and another writer, I forget the other writer's name, um, uh, did a story about the gun that killed his parents. And it begins with the manufacturer of the gun, and it takes you through uh, the various people who had the gun until the mo- that till the night that their parents the parents were. Oh, killed. that's incredible! I've never heard of that one. I've yeah. heard I've heard of, there was like a there's a vampire story that was. Did we try to do? Oh, it's Nocturna. Yeah, and um, we could, we got away with a lot of blood, but that blood we could not get away with. Yeah. The biting of, uh, of 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 a vampire was not we couldn't do. But going back to this gun story, so there, was Batman not a part of it until the very end? Like, we saw a young Bruce Wayne, but was it framed up uh, within a Batman story, or it just starts on that gun? And- it was, and I do think that the story has been published in, as an extra on one of the DVDs. Oh, that's so cool. I think it has been. So Maybe I just missed it. Um, the, R- Randy Rogel had a copy of that story. And uh, strange, uh, tragically, all those scripts somehow got erased. No. Yeah, we just we unless we had a hard copy, they're gone. And uh, but Randy had a copy of this one script that we never could get. We could never get the network to do, and uh, that ended up as a bonus in in something. I forget exactly what, but. It's and I forget the title. It's a story. About, it may have been the story about a gun. It had the title like that. That's such a, a cool episode. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a good idea. Were there any villains that you wanted to work with that never showed up? Um, we really, we really uh, uh, mined the the existing villains. I mean, you definitely did. Yeah. And at one point, Bruce said, uh, you know, sorry we didn't make up our own. But then we went into Batman Beyond. We made up our own villains for that. Yeah. I mean, you did even make up a few for the series. We, yeah. There were a few. Yeah. I guess you had, like, Harley Quinn, obviously, and Baby Doll. Yep. Lockup. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it was mostly pre-existing villains. Yeah. Well, what I loved about Batman Beyond is that all the villains felt right, uh, but they were new. Yeah. It's cool. Like, Ink is similar to Clayface in some ways, but feels like a totally different villain. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, 
So we had a chance to make up our villains later on. <laughs> but it's nice to go back and actually deal with the, the stuff that we grew up on. Well, let's talk about Perchance to Dream. Why did you choose this episode? Um, I have a feeling, and I, you know what? I, I could be wrong, but I have a feeling that idea for that episode came from me. <laughs> I know that I was on top of it, and, and I, I, I have a, a uh, feeling of possession of that, <laughs> that, yeah. that story. But um, um, the story, the credits are by, uh, with Laren Bright and um, Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves. And, I'll, you know, um, Michael did a lot, and he brought in uh, Joe Lansdale. Was it Joe Lansdale? Yeah, Joe Lansdale did the teleplay. Joe Lansdale did the teleplay. And uh, Joe Lansdale's great, a great writer. Yeah, he's got such a way with dialogue. He has like a gothic fiction feel to his stuff. Yeah, he doesn't like to write outlines particularly. He likes, he finds the story in the dialogue, I think. And uh, I have to have outlines in my business. so. So So we produced an outline that we handed over to him. And he did the story, and he wrote it, and it was great. And I just, I, um, it, it, I'm, I, and I've said this before. I'm a big Hitchcock fan, mm-hmm. and that, that, that felt like a Hitchcock film to it me. Absolutely does. And as a matter of fact, we, we, the. Uh, the Bell Tower is straight out of uh, Vertigo. Yep, that's straight exactly. Up. I was just watching it earlier today. I was like, "Oh, this is so Vertigo." <laughs> it is so. It's absolutely Vertigo, which is one of my favorite movies, and uh, and it just works well. It really, it's uh, it, that story could only be told about Batman, and uh, and I just love the story. Yeah, so, where did this story come from? I I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling I I th- wanted to do it, do a story where he's, what if Batman actually never had the tragedy befall him? What if Bruce Wayne um, had the life that he, that you wish he had? Right. And I think that's how it all came out. But I don't. I really don't remember. So I don't want to take credit where where. I shouldn't be taking credit, but I just have a feeling that story, from day one, I've always felt possessive about that story. Well, what I love about it is that it's a Bruce story, you know? Like, there's more Bruce than Batman in the episode. Yeah. Uh, And and, and it does follow this, like, kind of nightmarish, Hitchcock-y sort of, almost like Twilight Zone arc where, like, you know, we we start in the real world, right? There's a car chase. We're mid-car chase, and he, that device falls on him, and that plant, or in that warehouse wherever he ends up yeah uh but then you know the first half of the episode is just bruce and the audience trying to figure out what the hell's going on yeah before he finally accepts it and just as he does it's so sad when it all falls apart when he realizes no i'm guys this is a dream by the way that was interesting i had heard someplace that uh it's very very difficult to read in dreams and when bruce in that story for people who don't know the story um, Bruce gets trapped in a dream in which he uh, he is not Batman, 
and whoever Batman is, it's not him, and he's living a, the life of a billionaire who's going to get married, and his parents are still alive, and things are looking great, and then he looks at a newspaper and tries to read it, and he can't quite read it. And I had heard that I had heard that that, <laughs> that was a case that reading is very difficult in in a dream. Right. It was like right side of the right. brain is reading, left side is dreaming. Yeah. And um, when um, <laughs> when uh, the uh, the uh, censors went to the psychiatrist to discuss this, um, uh, the psychiatrist said, oh, who, so who, who told who you can read in a dream? Absolutely. And and um, I. I, I I just don't think I, personally I can't. Right. So uh, I, I'm, I went with what wherever I heard that piece of information. I mean, it rang true when I watched it as a kid. And I'll say this: I argued with people saying that you couldn't possibly read in a dream because of this episode. Yeah. Well, I feel like a lot of people I know who love the show they'll cite that one fact. They're like, I don't know if it's true, but it feels true. Yeah, it feels. Yeah, it does. And they did a nice job. And it's a really yeah. scary moment. Like yeah. it's like, oh, everything's great, and he opens up <laughs> everything, and all the words are like kind of mushed and yeah. falling apart and jumbled. The um, the thing about that, speaking of the censors, the thing about that movie, the thing I knew I would have trouble with is um, in order to get out of the stream, Bruce has to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. He chooses suicide. He chooses suicide. So, so, and, and they do frown on suicide. Oh, you in know, just because it's a kid's show. Yeah. And I, called, and I said, this is what we're going to do. He's going to jump off a roof. And we're going to see the fall, and then, and then, right as he's about to hit, he wakes up. And they said, "Okay." And then we, the storyboard came in, and uh, the storyboard almost killed that show because it just was too, it it was too um, understandable what he was doing. We had to make it more abstract. So if you look at it. Uh, Bruce Wayne sort of runs off screen. You don't know, don't know quite where he is. And then the next scene is he's falling, and the background is all limbo. Yeah, it's kind of a void. Yeah, well, that was we had to do that to save the show. It's, it's still very intense. I mean, like, what is it? The Mad Hatter kind of screams, like, what if you're wrong? And he's like, yeah. then I'll see you in your nightmares. Yeah. And he runs and jumps. Like, that's so It's great. You know, there's like a storm going on. One of the most epic fights in the series is Bruce versus Batman before he's unmasked as yeah. Hatter. And the uh, I'm sure the original line was "I'll see you in hell." I'm sure oh. of it. Yeah, I mean that, that's sure what that's it feels like. We had to do, but um, yeah. So I have a lot of affection for that show. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I also love the Mad Hatter uh, in the animated series yeah. quite a bit. He's a very empathetic, empathetic character. I mean, we had we had sympathy for these guys these crazy sick guys um we try to understand them a little bit before we turn them into villains well they're so memorable because of that i think yeah. everybody really does latch on to the villains in this series you know yeah. because they're psychologically some of the most fleshed out characters yeah and they were and you know nobody has villains like batman uh i mean hatter was so there's so much heart to him. I mean, the whole, first, you know, Matt is a yeah. hatter, that first, I think it was Deanie who wrote that yeah, one? Yeah, wrote that and uh, <laughs> about a guy who has trouble with women. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, 
Paul is uh, Paul and his, and his women. They're famous. So, <laughs> so anyways, so the fact that like the Hatter's crying at the end of this episode, like I tried to give you what you wanted, yeah. <laughs> like oh, it's so sad, but also he's nuts. <laughs> yeah, um, Paul's Paul's great at uh, finding the. Uh, Finding the emotional uh, heart to something like Heart of Ice and all that. Oh, yeah. He's just great. Well, even hearing here, like, the Mad Hatter, like, you ruined my life is the reason why it happens. Like, you don't Mm. hear that very often from a villain. They feel like in a lot of superhero shows it's a much grander reason. Yeah. Uh, But they always felt small and personal for the best villains. Yeah. So... And that's 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 pretty much my memories of that particular episode. It was so. I'm Conroy did the voice of Thomas Wayne, right? Yeah. And I Adrian Barbeau did Martha Wayne's voice. Uh, it could be. I looked that up. I couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, but she did uh, Selena Kyle, right? And um, and also who is Diana Muldaur's in it? Yeah, she plays. Uh, Leslie Tompkins. Leslie Tompkins. Who's uh, such a wonderful supporting character. She she feels very grounding. Yeah. It was cool to see her show up in this episode. It's yeah. like, oh, well, Leslie is somebody you can trust. Yeah. So, of course, you would go to her in this dream world. Yeah. She was, uh, I just, I, by chance, I saw McHugh, uh, this old uh, 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 John Wayne detective story and she was the uh she was the femme fatale in that thing it was nine, that was 73 oh, and man. 20 years later she would be doing stuff for us yeah and she showed up a good number of times yeah she was yeah she well, that's what i love about the show did you guys make a concerted effort to kind of build a supporting cast yeah i think it we feel like a world it was kind of an organic show we we there was there were a couple of bibles written on the show and they were good bibles well, the first one was very tough the second one uh, had to be toned down, and uh, then I w- I came in and I just got everybody in a room and we just talked out Batman and things we wanted to see, and that's sort of how it evolved. Sort of it was it was it was uh, what we wanted to do from the comics, the things that we loved in the comics. Do you remember what that session was like? What some of the things people said were? Oh, you know, it was like two or three days of just talking about Batman. And you realize this is just what people do for fun, right? <laughs> yeah. I know, but I mean it's like serious sure. Serious talk what we were going to do, what we're not going to do. We had three rules. What were they? No no ghosts, in other words, and no UFOs, no aliens, and then no humanitas awards. We weren't going to tell any pro-social stories. <laughs> we were just going, but although we did, but that wasn't we. That wasn't what we were wanted to do. We wanted to, um, to uh, just tell good, good versus evil stories. So, um, and we never did get a humanitas for anything. <laughs> but uh, th- those are the three rules we had. We sort of bent them when when. Um, when we used Rachel Ghoul, because that got into areas of of spirituality and sure. but he can't avoid. I guess that Avatar is the closest to ghost ghosty territory too, with like a that mummy creature. Yeah, Thoth Capera. <laughs> yeah, um, 
But uh, beyond that, I guess, what was it like the first time you went in and saw the record? Oh, it was great. Um, uh, I like I like got in around show seven. So pretty early on. Yeah, pretty early on. And I was throwing out scripts and fixing some scripts and seeing other scripts that I really liked. I I forget what the first show I was at the recording for. I forget what it was. I just forget. But um, but it was it was great. And of course, um, Kevin Conroy was great as the Batman. Oh yeah, yeah. How were the title cards chosen? I think this uh, one in particular is beautiful. Eric Radomski did all those title cards. Really? Yeah. Every single one of them? Yeah, to my knowledge, every single one. Why did uh, you remove the title cards once you got to New Batman Adventures? What, when we got to New Man, I wonder if Eric hadn't left by then. Ah. He may have gone on to spawn by then. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It was one of the, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful. He did all of them, I think. Yeah, this one in particular, like the swirling yeah, clouds. clouds. And, and... and you had the Mad Hatter's theme playing over it. For... <laughs> you, you remember more than I do, but... I also did just watch it. Oh, okay, <laughs> I just rewatched fine. it. Yeah. Um, but I'm also the guy with the Batman podcast constantly talking about it now, so... Yeah. Uh, well, you just... Justice League Gods and Monsters just came out, which is... You wrote the screenplay for that. Yes. Uh, and it's back to working with Bruce Tim, uh, yes. know, collaborating. What was that like? It has a, you know, it, it does feel like part of the DC animated universe of, you know, like this kind of universe that you guys created, but a, a little, you know, it's different, obviously, because it's like an Elseworlds-y sort of story. Yeah, well, Bruce, Bruce, had, Bruce had a secret frustration about the DC characters, the DC heroes, and that they lived by a code where they really couldn't, Kill anybody, I think, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so he wanted to develop sort of a, another world where the heroes were. You didn't know if the heroes were good or bad, and um, um, you didn't know if that they would, if they, if they're powerful enough to protect you and do everything for you, then will they be your gods or will they be your monsters? Because they could just as easily take over, take take you over. Um, as they can let you be. So, I mean, he th- these are themes that were running through his head. And he came up with three um, different kinds of Superman, th- th- three heroes, three three different kinds of heroes, a, a Wonder Woman and a Superman and a Batman who are really badass characters, who are really kind of twisted and who are really hard. And... Um, and in the case of Batman, he was a, actually a Kirk Langstrom as a bat vampire man. Yeah, I loved it. I, re- yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. So those—that's how it started. It just started with his three drawings and his this sense of let's do something where we don't know where the where, the, where these characters are capable of things that the other that regular superheroes wouldn't do. And that's how it started. And we—it took a while to develop the story. Um, right, Superman is the son of Zod in this yeah. version, and Wonder Woman is uh, from uh, one of the new gods. Right, yeah, she's, her name is Becca. She's uh, yes. married. She's married to in the comic book. She's married to Orion. Right, and nobody knows who she is. I mean, she's. I wrote a comic book about her. Oh, about what, five, six years ago, 
and um, I just and I just um, and I don't think anybody had done anything with her since the the first five or six new gods. I mean, she seems to have disappeared from even what Kirby was doing. I didn't realize doing. that she was a pre-existing character. She was there, and she's the 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 wife of Orion. So I used her, and so I, um, when we were trying to develop a new Wonder Woman, we had played with other gods on Olympus and Circe and some, you know, the you know sort sort of the badass gods of Olympus, and and in the end, we decided to do really do a complete change and make Wonder Woman from uh, the apocalypse world. Yeah, it was cool to see her hopping through boom tubes. <laughs> yeah, she was. Yeah, it was very. The boom tubes are real effective in that one. I mean, without spoiling too much, because I really think. People who, if you haven't watched it, watch it. It's great, and it, it really does unravel. There's there's a mystery element to it, uh, but it, it feels very like fanboy oriented. Like I was just excited to see what each version of different characters would do in this world. Like uh, I mean, you, you can enjoy it without knowing who they are, but it's just like that extra icing on the cake. Yeah, of you know seeing. Victor see, Freeze, or you know, or yeah, or, or the Atom. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so. In a completely different way. It was, you know, it took, there was a, a gestation part of that where you're pulling your hair out for about a, for weeks. And then suddenly it all started to come together. Huh. Suddenly when I said, this is a mystery. This really, that's what it is. It's a mystery. And, and suddenly all the pieces just fell together. It was great. Well, you do such a good job of, like, the first half of the movie feels like it, it's playing into the mystery, but it really is, like, just interesting to watch, you know, find out who these characters are. Yeah. And then it, like, really picks up. and Like, it's it's great. The scary thing to me was um, they're unlikable. Yes. The the fr- I didn't know if they were going to yeah. be bad guys, you know, for, for a good portion of the movie. I was like, well. Yeah, you don't know. And I'm wondering, you know, there's a there's this uh, you know this saying in writing scripts uh, in writing about bad characters who turn out to be antiheroes and and somebody you you like in the end. There's this thing about saving the cat, give them right. you know. And these guys do not save the cat in the beginning; they just don't. And I and and I was a little worried that maybe how I, I want people to like them at some point and when are they going to start liking them that that i really didn't know even 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 when i was even when i saw the first screening i wasn't sure when people I think would they are them. likable uh they by get the end to of be. the film I, I think when you hit wonder woman's flashback especially at least for me i was like oh okay so yeah i think that's that 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 cements it yeah so but um and you guys are doing uh like more webisodes well, I can't like tell you. Two? I can't tell you what we're doing. Right? No, I know. That, I'm sure that's under wraps. But yeah. you're, there's there are more stories to be told. Well, with me, these guys. If this thing is successful, I wouldn't doubt that you'll see more. Is there any? This is obviously like the nerdiest fanboy question yeah. you would get at Comic Con. But like, would there ever be a crossover between this animated series, the Justice League style Batman, and these guys? That would be great. I would love to see that. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's got a lot of time. There's a lot of time for that to happen if it ever happens. Sure, you probably want to tell more stories yeah. without them, but it was it was liberating to tell stories with brand new characters. It was just great because I didn't have to stick to any rules. They were all they were all brand new. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, 
awesome. That's great. Uh, I'm glad I, you mentioned it. I was, you know, I'm I'm proud of that thing. So I hope uh, people see it. No, I really enjoyed it. It's one of my favorite, you know, superhero anything's to happen recently or come out. So, and I think people who like this animated series and love Justice League and Superman and Batman Beyond will really like it too. It feels kind of in the same vein as those. Uh, what do you think makes a good Batman story? How do you write Batman well? Do you know? Um, it's hard to say because you know what makes a good Batman story is the villain's story mm-hmm. because he's reacting to the villains a lot, like all the superheroes do. That's all. They're always the reactors, and so it, it's it's how that plot. It, it's how interesting the villain plot is that makes Batman interesting. And really, that's that's it. It's like a temp. I mean, that's basically how the series seems to play out too. Yeah, is through the villains. It's always you know, it's always good when you uh, to see the world at least one time in your story. See it through every villain, through your henchmen. You know, see it through the bad guy's eyes for at least one time as you're writing it. There, little <laughs> rule. <laughs> done and done. There, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Thank you. Well, there you have it, guys. More insight into the making of Batman the Animated Series, just as promised. Hey, Mayor of Podcasts? Wake up, Mr. Oh, sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jimbo's Christie's, I'm frightened here. Sorry, oh, we're going to crash. What am I doing in here? Where am Oh, yeah. I was hitchhiking and this nerd picked me up. Sorry. Takes me about three seconds to figure out where I am every time I wake up. I'm sorry. Jesus, you almost scared me out of my elegant sash here. I got to get it back up on my shoulder. What is it, nerd? Uh, well, I'm about to end this episode and continue on my PodQuest cast. <laughs> Quest cast! Oh, which is a quest wrapped in a podcast, wrapped in a... You know what? I could care less. It seems convoluted for somebody like me who never heard of this before. I don't know what none of y'all are talking about. There's just one of me. There's just one person in here? I could have swore I heard other people in this car. Okay, well, yeah, where are you headed? I mean, maybe I can drop you off. You know what? That's actually a good question. You know, let me consult my campaign manager. Campaign manager, where are we going? East. Uh, anywhere in particular? No, sir. Okay, that sounds good. I'm talking to myself here. I've got two different voices because I'm talking to myself here. Looks like I'm going wherever you take me, buddy. I'm staying here. All right, guys. Well, looks like the mayor's with me for the time being. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate it and leave a comment on iTunes. It really helps. Follow the show on Twitter at BTAS Podcast and myself at HeyJustin. You can email me at BTASPodcast at gmail.com and find more at www.BTASPodcast.com. In fact... You can check out the new donation incentives over at the website. I'm going to have some giveaways soon, and they're going to be limited, so if you're thinking about donating, now's the time, and it really helps out the show, which I produce, so I appreciate it. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and Drew Tarver triumphantly returned to guest star as the mayor of podcasts. A huge thanks to my guests, Jake Goldman and Alan Burnett, Finally, a jumbo-sized thank you to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, 
who tucked me into bed last night dressed as Freddy Krueger and screamed, Then I'll see you in your nightmares! Look, Tori, I love a good horror movie, but that felt a little intrusive. Maybe dial it down a notch next time? And you guys, dial it up when I see you on the next podcast. All right, bye-bye.